This next podcast episode is with Charles Orgbaum from Deloitte. We recorded this before the COVID outbreak, so I just want you to know that uh, the pandemic wasn't yet on our radar at the time. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Why on Earth Community's Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series. Today, we are visiting with Charles Orgbaum III. Hi, Charles. Hey. How are you doing? Good. It's a pleasure to be on the show and talking about these important issues. I'm really excited to have this opportunity to talk with you, Charles. So Charles Orgbaum III is a consultant with Deloitte's Risk and Financial Advisory Services, where he specializes in environmental liability. Charles develops enterprise solutions for his Fortune 500 and public sector clients that improve business processes, maximize revenue, manage costs, address risks, strengthen relationships, and boost performance while also mitigating social and environmental impacts. Before joining Deloitte, Charles gained almost a decade of nonprofit management and leadership experience with various environmental philanthropy and youth volunteerism organizations. For example, Charles developed and led Greening Forward from 2008 to 2017 which became and continues to be a leading organization in the United States that's devoted to training and funding student environmental leaders ages five to 25. Leveraging this experience, Charles also served as a strategy consultant for numerous government agencies, foundations, and nonprofits. Charles' work in the sustainability and nonprofit leadership space is validated by over 31 local, national, and international awards, five book mentions, and over 100 speaking engagements since 2010. And uh, Charles is currently writing a young adult memoir called My Name Isn't Charlie about his intersectional identity as a queer black man. You can follow his writing journal at charlesorgbon.com. Charles, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show today and I'm really excited to dive into our conversation. And I think uh, to get started, I just wanna ask, What's your connection to the environmental movement and how did you get started with it? Certainly. In 2008, I was just 12 years old when I founded and led Greening Forward, which you mentioned earlier. It's an organization that has now grown to become one of the largest and longest running youth-driven environmental organizations in the country. And Greening Forward is composed of high school and college students. And we're doing grassroots environmental activism. I left the organization in 2017, but I continue to serve a new generation of leadership that's helping to guide things forward for for the organization. Uh, Students everywhere are witnessing the effects of climate change, such as our prolonged fire seasons and melting permafrost and intensified storm seasons and In the wake of realizing what's going on, students are also recognizing that our future is not secure. So Greening Forward provides an opportunity, an outlet for those young people to be a part of the solution, to not just be witnesses of our changing climate, but to actually be solutionaries in in creating a, a new possibility. For the longest, I had thought that activism looked like Martin Luther King Jr. and Cesar Chavez and the Lorax and And that was the only way we could make a difference is through grassroots organizing. 
Um, but I also realized through working with Greening Ford and some of our corporate partners, that there's also a lever to be examined at the corporate level as well, that individuals working at the community level on behalf of people in opposition of mass and systems are so important, but we also need people who understand these issues in those massive systems to create change as well. And so that's when I started looking at making the transition to the corporate sector to scale the impact of my activism. And as, activism, as activists, we must understand that that, that lever, lever is available to us as well, just like working in NGOs or philanthropy and government as well. And we'll need to use all of these tools that are available to us and build as many partnerships and coalitions as possible. So now I'm making an impact in the corporate space as an environmentalist. It's, a, it's so exciting and it's such a, I think, positive and, and hopeful story and evolution in your career pathway. And I have to admit, I love the Lorax. In, in high school, I actually did a paper on the Lorax and Dr. Seuss's writings related to uh, environmental and social priorities in our, in our time. And I mean, it's a, it's a huge shift that you made um, going from that NGO and philanthropic work into your work with Deloitte. And uh, I'm curious, from your vantage point, do you think corporations truly care about climate change? Yeah, th that's such an important question too, Aaron. A lot of people in the nonprofit space, now that I work in the corporate space, they find clever ways of asking, Charles, do you still believe in climate change? <laughs> um, it's hard for them to imagine that corporations uh, do care because, I mean, we have to recognize that corporations have been responsible for some terrible things that have largely affected society, such as Enron and the deep water Horizon oil spill, and I'm just not a fan of the puppy dog filter on social media either. But um, at the same time, like corporations can wield, can, can wield the power to also create social and environmental change as well. And that's what we're realizing, that there's greater import, importance on these kinds of conversations in the corporate sector. And we can just look to, for example, the unprecedented shareholder activity in the 2017 proxy season that sent a clear message that shareholders want to fully understand how climate change will impact their business. We can look at the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board investor uptake. So investors are, are considering a board level risk uh, if we don't have a plan about climate change or if we're not addressing our supply chain or if we're not trying to reduce our impacts on the environment, or the Global Reporting Initiative's updated standards is helping to give us some shared language about how do we report sustainability and how do we talk about it. Our Financial Sustainability Board's Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, the TCFD, and their recommendations, or what the stock exchange is doing around NASDAQ ESG guidance. So the reality is that corporations can't afford to ignore what's going on. When a soda company, for example, thinks about its product strategy, it has to consider that that product is made up of 99% water. And the company can't choose to ignore how climate change will drastically change water availability around the globe in the coming decades. So that's a, a risk to business. Um, so corporations have to care. 
It's, it's just amazing to hear, um, you know, some of the kind of perspectives and some of the drivers motivating folks. And I'm, I'm curious, um, I, I would imagine a lot of our audience perhaps are familiar with things like the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, but probably a bunch of folks aren't as familiar. And I'm curious, like, how, what are those mechanisms uh, actually doing now? And, and how is that changing the global economy um, in a way that maybe we didn't see five or 10 years ago? Sure. So these are all tools that corporations can use to help figure out what's material for them. What do they want to report on? Um, how do they think about their sustainability strategy? And when I say material, every company is making an impact in the environment in very different ways. Um, the way that a tech company impacts um, the environment and its people is very different than consumer goods or um, the hospitality and travel industry. And so when we think about materiality, we must think about how do we create environmental programs and solutions that are gonna be addressing the biggest ways we're, we're contributing to environmental degradation. Um, so all of, so sustainability accounting board standards and GRI um, are examples of giving us a framework for thinking about uh, how do we talk about sustainability and what's important and where do, where do we wanna see our impact as a company. It's, it's really, uh, really interesting to hear about. And, you know, you obviously have a role in helping corporations move the needle, Charles. But what about when you're dealing with uh, companies and institutions where the employees themselves don't have a clear sustainability responsibility? Sure. Um, I would say that the biggest opportunity for any company that wants to be more sustainable and, and think more about how it's creating an impact in the lives of other people and, and the environment um, is to first think about their company culture. I feel like that's, that is a missed opportunity if we're not thinking first about company culture around these issues, because if the culture exists, I believe that, that the internal pressure can be exerted to move the company further, to move the needle further on some of these issues. And I like to tell employees in, in any organization, whether you're um, a nonprofit organization or you're a for-profit organization or the government, um, the good news is you don't need a formal title um, such as chief sustainability officer or, or um, social impact manager to do good and drive good in your company. Whether you care about transitioning the economy to adjust clean energy future or creating transportation solutions that reduce our national dependence on fossil fuels, there are actually clever ways to hold those passions and still create impact no matter what you do from nine to five. Every employee holds passions, values, beliefs, fears. And when we show up to work, we're allowed to bring our humanity with us. So if you're an accountant, if you're a janitor, if you are um, the CEO, right, or anyone in between, you can help create that culture within your company to care about these things and start to identify opportunities internally that you can projects that you can take on and drive that can help move your company forward. 
Yeah, I love this. There's there's such a strong message and uh, narrative of empowerment in, in what I'm hearing. And I'm, I'm picturing this uh, diagram, this image where you have a corporation and you have shareholders on one end becoming even more concerned and active about what's going on with the social and environmental uh, stewardship. And then on the other end, you have consumers, you have customers increasingly paying attention to corporate practices. And then in the middle, within the organization, you have employees uh, increasingly taking on leadership roles to help make change from within. And it's, it's such an exciting, uh, dynamic, and uh, a really beautiful way of thinking about how those ecosystems are, are working in those corporations. And, you know, I'm wondering what about when you're encountering people and employees who aren't necessarily um, feeling activated around these issues or, or perhaps aren't seeing that they have a role to play or perhaps even don't care much about that. Sure. Um, so if you want to be happy in your work, um, there becomes a time where you can begin to examine um, what power you have to change um, the things that you don't like or to feel a greater connection to your work as well. And so the, the term is called job crafting actually, when employees can create their own work streams and follow their passion projects and employees have either asked for permission or simply volunteered anyways to lead campaigns that are changing the purchasing behavior of their business units so that services and products for example, are sourced with a special emphasis on sustainably sourced or locally owned and minority owned businesses. Or there are companies that are phasing out plastic straws from their corporate cafeterias. Or there are employee initiatives um, around divesting 401k and pension plans from extractive economies such as oil and gas. There are employees and who are encouraging meetings to be vegetarian or vegan because animal agriculture has a significant impact on environmental quality. Or they're launching well-being and sustainability campaigns that encourage biking to work. So these kinds of projects um, can really help someone who's not feeling a, a strong connection to their work or feel like they're making a difference. These projects can help them um, begin to create new possibilities for their for their work and their job. Yeah, this is really cool. So what I'm hearing is that as we at the individual level, um, you know, take more responsibility really for our own happiness and well-being within the context of our corporate job. Uh, one of the ways we can cultivate that is is by becoming more engaged and active in, in some of these ways we can help to make a difference. And uh, sure. I think it's a wonderful message. I have, to, uh, sure. I have to give one quick shout out to some of our friends doing work in the regenerative ag arena with um, responsible regenerative animal husbandry and that um, when we're talking about veganism and vegetarianism, it's so important to have this robust dialogue around some of these other dietary choices. And clearly all of our food and beverage choices are having tremendous impacts on soil, on water, on the health and well-being of communities all around the planet. And uh, so it's, I think, really important that we're really uh, cultivating a, an informed, sophisticated 
uh, conversation around those things. So I just have to give that kind of shout out as we work with so many regenerative farmers uh, throughout the country and really worldwide uh, working on those issues. It is uh, maybe one of the easiest things that we can do um, to make a difference in the environment is reduce our meat consumption. And one of the things that we're working on in the Deloitte office is uh, piloting um, ways, a project to encourage people to not order beef, essentially, um, disincentivize people from ordering beef for um, meetings. And we're calculating the impact of that because um, beef, of all of the meats, are the most land intensive and water and energy intensive. Yeah, I, I so appreciate that. And I know also that a lot of our friends that are doing the soil building work are actually working with um, sustainably managed uh, cattle and that sort of thing. So it's, it's a big conversation. And, and obviously, we, we won't dive deeply into that right now. But I think it's amazing that you're helping to push the envelope and have these uh, change uh, making uh, options and all activities available to your colleagues. And I'm, I'm wondering um, at your uh, work at the Deloitte office in, in San Francisco, um, what, what have been some of the most interesting job crafting tasks that you've, uh, you have helped to bring to the company, Charles? Sure. Yeah. So there's in my role, a client facing aspect and then an internal aspect. So client facing is how do we think about sustainability and environmental challenges within our clients. Um, and then internally, our Deloitte practitioners, um, how do we make sure that our business operations are as sustainable as possible? And part of it is this in the San Francisco office um, is me and another colleague and I came together and we created the Sustainability Business Resource Group um, for our, the San Francisco Bay Area and all of the offices that are around San Francisco, where we're helping to influence practices and attitudes within our office. But we first re actually realized that we needed to build our community. So we got the approval to send out a comprehensive survey and the survey allowed us to understand what did practitioners already understand that Deloitte was doing and what could we do more and who wanted to be involved in helping Deloitte move forward. And so um, that, that allowed us to identify a few people too who became some of our first members and now we're uh, driving work streams that are looking at how, are we how can we reduce our energy consumption in the office? How can we make sure people know how to compost? You know, that, that's actually been a challenge for us. Um, uh, how to compost in San Francisco. And so our role as a business resource group is to, to teach our practitioners um, what that means. We've brought in some pretty cool dynamic speakers to um, also engage our Deloitte community around um, ways that they can uh, be more sustainable at home as well as um, in the office. Um, and soon we'll be diving more into community engagement as well. Oh, that is so exciting. And I love uh, the, the focus on the compost. And uh, that, that's one of the 
big focal points for our uh, work through the Wine Earth community for community mobilization, climate action, soil regeneration. And uh, it's really interesting, especially in the urban environment that, you know, composting is more easily done in some settings than in others. And um, we're, as we're recording this, we're right in the, the holiday season and my daughter and her boyfriend asked uh, actually for a worm composting bin for their um, urban apartment in St. Louis. And uh, it's so cool that that's one of the strategies that we can deploy in the more uh, urban settings where maybe we don't have access to the yard or the land that we might find in other settings. And uh, it's obviously such an important day-to-day um, -day thing we can all be doing to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions, methane emissions from landfills, while also contributing to the soil building that helps draw down carbon from the atmosphere. And uh, I love hearing that, uh, that you guys are focused on that as well. I'm, I'm wondering, um, go ahead, Charles. Well, in San Francisco, the city makes it super easy for us because composting is the law. Um, so in, in some respects, um, being an environmentalist in San Francisco is easy. Um, but uh, we're, you know, Deloitte works around the world. Deloitte works all across the United States. And what we're doing in, in, in San Francisco can also be replicated in other cities as well. And so we're seeing that, like our idea with the survey and helping to first establish um, a baseline level of like awareness um, has already been replicated in several offices and folks have asked us, oh, how, how did you get those folks to come into your office and talk to, your, talk to the Deloiters about sustainability? Um, and so that's something else that's really cool about starting um, these kind of grassroots internal, grassroots internally campaigns um, is that you can then collaborate with other people if your company has other offices um, and, and, and spread um, uh, what you've learned and your resources and um, the, the, the materials you've built. Um, and so that helps make, um, that helps build the culture, right? That helps um, send a message to the leadership that folks care about this and this needs to be something that we as a company need to be thinking about. And so again, the importance of all of that is that, is that corporations wield a lot of power to create change. Mm -hmm. And again, I think the missed opportunity is how individuals in that company who may not, who may not um, clearly see themselves as a sustainability person can still make a huge difference. Like the people mm -hmm. who are on our business resource group do not have a client facing role in, in this um, topic like I do, but they're still making an impact. Yeah, that's uh, so beautiful. Well, and I love the, the message around the collaboration with other organizations. And of course, um, that is the uh, 17th and final of the uh, United Nations, the Global Communities uh, Sustainable Development Goals, uh, collaborating with other organizations. And that's probably a good uh, segue to remind our audience that this is the Why on Earth Community's Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series. And today we are visiting with Charles Orban III from Deloitte, from their San Francisco office, where he's in the risk and financial advisory services. And want to give a quick shout out to some of our sponsors and partners who make this series possible. That includes Patagonia, Purium, Earth Coast Productions, Waylay Waters, Equal Exchange, 
the Lidge Family Foundation and Alpine Botanicals. So a huge thanks to all of you for your support of our uh, work, both the podcast, digital media resources, and the on the ground in-person community mobilization activities that we're bringing to communities all around the country. And I also wanna give a huge shout out to all those individuals out there who have joined our monthly giving program. And uh, if you haven't yet joined and you want to, you can join at any level. Um, you just go to whyonearth.org, click on the donate or support links, and you'll get to the spot where you can select the amount you'd like to give on a monthly basis. If you wanna give at certain levels to get uh, some of the rewards, um, just give me a holler and I'll make sure you uh, know all about the programs that we have there for you. And uh, Charles, it's, it's just wonderful to hear about the uh, leadership that, that you and that Deloitte are deploying throughout the world with all of these different corporate and organizational uh, connections that you all have. And, and I'm wondering, um, when you're thinking about employees at other firms who may also want to establish similar programs to what you've established at Deloitte, uh, what advice would you have for them? Well, first, you need a senior leadership ally. This is someone who can work with you to remove roadblocks and identify firm funding sources and just help make appropriate connections. And we're, we're lucky to have found a partner in our firm, Kevin Freed, who works to make sure that we're moving things forward. And he's our champion. But second, you must build your community of like-minded professionals. For us, uh, the starting point there was using the survey like, we, like I mentioned earlier. And that worked well because it was sent to everyone in the office and got lots of responses. But whatever you do, you will need others across other departments to join you in making an impact. They'll bring important perspectives to the opportunities and you can help, and they can also help add just context to the challenges within the company as well. That's so cool. And there, there are two key uh, terms in our discussion today that I just love and I'm starting to hear more and more one being solutionaries and the other being job crafting and, and I'm wondering um, what are some of the other levers of job crafting that, that you're seeing and that you've utilized yeah so um, job crafting could be thinking about your role and um, differently and so the examples before of like taking on those projects or um, using your power, maybe you're, you're already creating a catering order, right? But like using your power to choose um, a caterer that sources their products locally, right? Or um, like these are ways that we can also job, job craft and, and just thinking about our role differently um, and, and, and the resources and helping to use the resources of our company to make an impact. Um, but also you could job craft your relationships. You can change the nature or extent of your interaction with other people. What I mean by that is when we build deeper intentional relationships with, it, with our colleagues, we can learn and grow while also deepening our sense of greater purpose. So um, this is really, I think that's really important too, is like before we can create change within corporations, we have to actually know who we're working with. So um, I think be, building those meaningful relationships is really important. Um, and then we also can job craft um, our, percep our perceptions. You know, now that I work at Deloitte, I find myself in, in rooms with many accountants and I'm the sole person 
with a sustainability background and naturally accountants have expressed their unhappiness to me, especially around busy season, of course. It's yeah. such a um, such a wild time of the year for an accountant. And an accountant at a large firm, for instance, might choose to think of her job as two separate parts. One, not particularly enjoyable, like staring at hundreds of pages of documentation dealing with hostile clients, or one very meaningful part, creating a more responsible business climate for which our entire economy is based upon. Like an accountant is so necessary. Um, so I think that um, how we perceive the work is also really important too. Um, even when I was running Greening Forward and I was working in the nonprofit space, there were certainly times where I did not feel like I was making impact because doing work still means that people are going to say no or that some people are going to be difficult to work with. And it doesn't matter if you're in the nonprofit space working with kids uh, to make a difference or you're working with um, billionaires um, to help them figure out how can they reduce their environmental impact, right? So mm -hmm. it, there's still going to be challenges with every job. And so thinking about the percept, how we perceive the work um, is really important as well because it's likely that everyone's job is making an impact. Um, it's just something we have to, um, uh, it, it may not be clear to us all the time. Mm -hmm. Wow, so you're, I mean, you're really uh, working in a lot of different channels and you're, you're up to so much. And on top of all this, you're also writing a memoir, right? And um, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's. Uh, called My Name Isn't Charlie, and, and does the memoir have a connection to sustainability? <laughs> um, sort of. The, the memoir manuscript is already written, but writers are in the business, of, obviously, of like constantly rewriting than writing. Yeah. Um, so I'm currently looking for a literary agent. Yes, you're, you're also an author as well, so I know you yeah. can relate to that. <laughs> uh, the memoir discusses my coming of age as a queer black man in the South, and it finds comedy in what was actually a pretty difficult childhood. Um, it's a story that discusses um, my mom's mental illness and poverty and bullying and racism and how that all affected me. And ultimately the mission is that we can save a young person's life who's contemplating suicide, um, like I once did when I was a teen, who will read it and discover that there are other options and that the future is so much brighter. Um, my dad actually read the manuscript and it was so powerful to him that he was once super homophobic and has since lightened up and has finally begun to accept me for my complete identity. So um, I think that that's a really great sign. I'm really happy in what the writing has already done. Um, I'm also looking for literary agent representation at the mm. same time. And hopefully will be, um, uh, I'm sure it will catch the interest of a publisher and will be traditionally published. Yeah, that's, that's really wonderful to hear. And certainly as a fellow writer, I, I can appreciate the, uh, the process. It, it takes a lot to create and share a book. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just struck. I, I know a handful of uh, white folks from the South who really struggled with that culture growing up. And of course, to be uh, a person of color from the South, that's a whole nother level of uh, challenge and struggle that I think a lot of Americans perhaps don't fully 
appreciate Charles and uh, to also be a person with a queer identity on top of that. I mean, it's clearly, um, I would imagine that in the memoir you're sharing that there were a number of times that were extremely painful for you. And I, I think it's so important for that kind of story to be shared with the broader world. And here you are, despite all of those challenges, uh, with a, an amazing uh, career doing all kinds of great work with all kinds of different people throughout the country and, and worldwide. And um, there, there's such a hopefulness in, in that message and in that story, Charles, and I'm, I'm just really grateful you're sharing that with folks. Thank you. Um, but actually to answer your earlier question about the connection to sustainability, um, yeah. I think my path into sustainability and a writer are both expressions of my activism. Um, they're, they're both things that need to be addressed. Um, the inequality that exists in our world that you spoke of, and then also that we need to work together to really create a more sustainable solution for a lot of the problems that we're facing. Um, so I like to think my life is more meaningful when I'm devoted to a cause through passionate activism. And I look to Alice Walker's quote where she says, activism is my rent for living on the planet yeah oh i love that quote i'm um bear with me i'm gonna try to write it down so that we can <laughs> that in the uh, show notes um i'm using my own version of shorthand here um cool i've got it well i imagine too charles that uh the title, My Name Isn't Charlie, I guess we'll have to read the book to, <laughs> to find out why it's called that, yeah? Yeah. And so folks, uh, just to remind you. It's catchy. You, yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah, it's catchy. And I, I want to keep, I want to keep the, uh, the intrigue there. So. Yeah, and I just, I want to remind our audience, they can go to charlesorgbon.com to follow with your writing journal. And then people can also connect with you on Twitter at uh, C Orgbon, it's uh, C-O-R-G-B-O-N, and of course this, this will be in the show notes. And um, Charles, it's, it's such a joy speaking with you today, and thank you so much for sharing your insights and the work you're doing at Deloitte with our audience. And uh, before we sign off, is there anything else you'd like to share, any final uh, message you'd like to uh, convey to our audience? No, I think you, you think you, I think you took the, the, my last words from me when you encourage people to check out the website or just connect with me on Twitter. Um, those are good ways to um, stay in touch. And um, I look forward to continuing to engage with the Why on Earth community and, and hosting you whenever you come to San Francisco, Aaron. Thanks, Charles. Yeah, really looking forward to that visit uh, sometime in 2020. We'll be following up on some of those details in the coming weeks. And um, it's going to be a lot of fun connecting again in, in person um, after sharing this uh, conversation with our audience. Sweet. Thank you. Well, thank, yeah, thanks, Charles. Have a wonderful day. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. 
To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org backslash support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code WHYONEARTH, all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.